Um, I want to do a couple of announcements even before we do the talk because they're, they're important. And I have one on my phone. Um, Ajahn Brahm is coming again. Dave, you're all signed up, I know, right? So I, I got a special uh, uh, letter from John at the Theosophical Society, and he asked us to really let people know that Ajahn Brahm's coming, and he's speaking at the uh, DuPage County College on the Thursday night. Is it Thursday? The th okay, I found it. Wednesday, Wednesday, June 19th, from 7 to 9.30. So you get quite a bit of time with him. That's nice. He's speaking at the College of DuPage and Glen Ellen. And we'll have flyers out. But I, I just got this message from John yesterday, so we haven't had time to print the little flyers. But you can go on the Theosophical Society webpage. And if you haven't, Ajahn Brahm, uh, most of us know him, and he's on all over YouTube, and he's... He's English and lives in Australia, and he's a Thai forest monk, a student of Ajahn Chah. He wrote the book that all of our monks know and love, Who Ordered This trunk, Truckload of Dung? And uh, Marty told me that's one of the first books that she uses for the monks when she's tutoring them. So they all know, they all know Ajahn Brahm by his good, his good books. He wrote... Uh, Mindfulness, bliss, and beyond. So he's written. He's written a lot about the the uh, concentrated states of meditation. But he's known for his sense of humor, and he was here last year and had a day retreat. And uh, uh, several of us were able to go to that, and it was just a wonderful day. Now that retreat, the day may be filled. I'm not sure. But uh, this, the talk, they have it in a big auditorium, so there's plenty of room. It's called, it's, the title is Mindfulness, Bliss, and Beyond. Meditation Master Ajahn Brahm Shares Wit and Wisdom. And he's, he's wonderful. It's great to be around him. And he's also just a really excellent teacher. So it's, uh, it, you'll get a lot out of it. So it's in, at DuPage College, and it's June the 19th, 7 to 9.30. So please think about reading one of his books, but I think to see him in person. I was so excited last year. I, I've just uh, heard him speak and seen him speak on YouTube and, and followed him for such a long time. It was just incredible to get to spend the day with him. And also, Bhante Samahita, who, who we did have the good fortune to have come here, uh, he came here the night, the Wednesday night, before he was at the Theosophical Society, and he did a one-day, then he did a one-day Saturday workshop, but because it was Saturday, I had to miss that one, but the people who went to that said it was an incredible day, and it was just incredible when he was here for the evening, and he's someone else I had been following on on YouTube and get his got his email taught his emails and uh, had been following him for years and to for to get to see him was great and he's uh, Danish and he's lived in Sri Lanka in a hermitage really pretty much alone in Sri Lanka for about uh, I think 12 years and he he did the best talk at the uh, 
Theosophical Society on Relativity, Quantum Physics, and Buddhism. And it's, you know, it's a kind of great, incredible talk where you understand it while you're listening to it. And, and that's in, I hope that's in their archives, but that's his interest, is looking at early Buddhism and, and seeing all those connections and how the Buddha was teaching, teaching physics, quantum physics, uh, in his early teachings and uh, kind of ahead of the curve. And you get it when you listen to him talk. And when he was here, he taught us about how to meditate with the four sublime states, loving kindness, compassion, uh, uh, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And he showed us and we meditated with those qualities. So he will, I don't have the dates, I, I think it's early August, do you remember? Marty, do you know where some, when, what day, Marty? August 17th, so you can still get, you can still sign up for that day. So I'm, uh, all the monks and, and nuns here are planning to go to Ajahn Brahm's retreat, but one of us has to stay behind on the Saturday. <laughs> or we're going to have one of you be a guest speaker that day. <laughs> so the, 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 then he's, then Ajahn, uh, I mean, Bhikkhu Samahita is going to Hendersonville where Panyawadi, who, the nun that's, who's been here, is having him again at her retreat center. So if you want to do a five, I think it's five days. So if you want to do a five-day retreat with him, that's just a little trip to North Carolina and Hendersonville, North Carolina. <coughs> So I wanted to do that at the beginning because I didn't want any. I didn't want to forget to do that. And they are wonderful teachers, and it really makes me feel good to to talk about them and announce their being here locally uh, here at Blue Lotus because it's it's great to have teachers like this even close to us. And I recommend that you you know branch out and and experience as many teachers as you can. Uh, and these are these are teachers, both of them I you know I, I trust and recommend and think of as my own teachers too. So now we have to get back to the talk. Uh, I want to talk about the precepts. I think I have to do a full disclosure thing. I didn't want to do this, but I just have to let you know I'm I'm in a kind of a weird state of mind because this week right this week I had to lose my dog. Toby. And everybody's heard me talk. Everybody who knows me knows that we're pretty much inseparable. And it was, it, he, he actually maintained himself over the weekend, last weekend, when I was, we had Visaka Day, which was wonderful. But I was gone, had a, someone staying at my little place. Luckily, someone who loved Toby. But he, he like tolerated that whole weekend. And I know he was, I didn't know he was sick. I just thought he was getting older and getting pickier about the food. I'd been changing his food. You know, there was some denial going on, I think. I had been changing what I fed him, thinking I just needed, he was, he's a Scotty, he's stubborn, so that I just needed to up, up the ante with his food all the time. And what he was telling me was that he was, he was not feeling good. He was, it was more than just his stubborn Scotty personality. And he didn't want to walk, and he didn't, he, you know, he, he, he was giving me signs. But 
Over Buddha Day weekend, he was just, all I knew was he's not behaving right, and at least he could sleep and rest. And then Sunday I stayed back from uh, a trip to Chicago with the people visiting from Las Vegas. And and that was wonderful that I did that, because Toby and I just spent the whole afternoon just uh, being together and just napping, because I was tired too, and he, of course, was dying, so he was exhausted. But it wasn't until Tuesday that I got the diagnosis, and he just kept, he sank faster and faster, even after going to the dog hospital and getting fluids. And then they found a big tumor in addition to his kidneys were failing. So uh, Thursday, my kids came in, though, and we had some wonderful sunny, a sunny afternoon. That was another miracle, just to be with each other. And then Thursday night he passed. So if, you, if I start crying at any point, just, you know, just kind of, you just bear with me. And at some point I'll be able to, you know, get, get a dom and talk out of it, but it's, I, it's a big, it, it, I have, I realized I have had that, that particular dog, and I've had dogs ever since I can remember, but that particular dog came into my life accidentally, like right before my kids were leaving home to go to college, ha ha ha, to college and back, and, but you know, that was the dog that was my empty nest dog, and I didn't, uh, he was born accidentally to a dog. He, I had an older dog that I had gotten from someone who bred dogs, and they weren't going to breed their Scotty anymore. And so they gave her to me because I, I, I've always loved Scotties and never could afford one. And so uh, first thing she did was run away for two days while her owner was giving her to me. She put her down on the ground, and Lucy ran off and took us two days to find her. So we had a really bad start, and I thought she just didn't like me. And then, like two weeks later, she had a puppy. Nobody knew she was pregnant. Her owner, the the other owners, didn't know she was pregnant, and she had a puppy. And I thought I wanted an older dog. I wanted a five-year-old dog. I didn't, I didn't want a puppy. And so I called the owners, like, "Can you take this dog back? Like I didn't. You got to take him back." And. Uh, I said, I don't know what to do. I work full time. I can't raise a puppy. And and the guy I woke him up. It was real early in the morning. He said, Oh, Lucy's great. She'll raise that puppy. She's had puppies, and she'll just raise them. You don't have to do anything. <laughs> and I and he said, Besides, you can sell it for a lot of money. And I said, I know myself. If I have this puppy for a week, I'll never be able to part with him. And so she did raise him. She trained him. She, I mean, she was a wonderful mother. And it was only one puppy. And they told me later she only had small litters, but that one is very rare even for a Scotty. So, so I, so that's where Toby came from. And so he, he was my, uh, that the dog that scanned that whole period where my kids were moving out of home. I mean, they moved and came back, but. But basically, they were moving out, and so he 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 played such a special role. And uh, I traveled with him. He was I got to fly on the. He flew with me several times as a comfort dog on my lap, and uh, he, he was great in the airports and on the plane. And he's gone with me. He moved with me when I went to the desert in California. 
So he's, he's got friends all over the place. And uh, the main thing was he was my, uh, just like my kids were to me, my kids were always my anchor. I was kind of uh, traveling, living different places, and not very anchored. And then I realized my children became my anchor. So that's why they were my first teachers. And then Toby became my, my latest anchor because, you know, I walked him three times a day and his mother died about, Lucy died about three or four years ago. So they were, you know, I had to take care of them. I had to make plans whenever I was gone for them. And uh, Toby became, I realized after he was gone, he filled this huge, huge space in my life. And so I'm still talking to him, of course, and I'm, I have, if anybody needs any dog supplies, or if you have a dog that has special food needs, I have, I have so much stuff and I've been buying all this new food to try out with him. So if you have, if you have uh, any special needs, just come to me. I might have it in my house. And dog beds, I can't even, I can't even go there yet. But just in, in my living room, and I have a tiny, tiny apartment. I had like four dog beds. <laughs> a couple of them were stacked on top of each other to make them softer for him. So, but, but beyond that, he was always, he was my confidant and he was, you know, he was always, um, he was always present for me. And my kids, my kids were close to him, but they were, they, he was more my dog. He was really once again my dog and had been for such a long time. So those big holes that, it, that they leave in your life, I had never realized how big a hole that, that was because earlier I had had children and then, you know, before, before I was married, I had dogs, but it seemed like it was, they didn't, I was probably in a relationship or married or something when I typically did. And so, uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm aware I'm going to be feeling that absence. And um, I, I realize how lucky I've been, how few people I've lost in my life who have created that kind of absence. But while Toby was, see, and here I am talking about him, turn him into the talk, while he was still alive and I thought healthy, uh, just in the few weeks leading up to Buddha Day, I, there was so much going on, and you know, Mark was Mark was in the hospital, and then even in hospice, and and uh, uh, my mother was in the hospital for over two weeks, and there were times when you know I was just waiting for the call that she wasn't going to make it, and now she's out, and she's back in her assisted living apartment, and she's doing well. And little did I know it, but that little dog that's like my rock was the one who was going to go. And there, and I didn't, there, I didn't have tears about my mom. I didn't have tears about Mark. Uh, but so they all were there, just ready to be leashed, you know. Then, and we all know that feeling. Like we hold things in, and then something happens, and it's like the floodgates are open. So. And with my kids, it was the three of us were, uh, thank goodness my son allows himself to cry because he, he would have been, he would have been miserable with us if he wasn't. But, you know, that was, so lots of tears, but 
it it helped it helped me think again about impermanence and uh, that we can't escape it. I mean, that we we are always like this far away from it. Because I had I had other people that I was really afraid of losing in that two weeks, and they're still here. And then here's my rock, my little dog. I thought I had a few more years with him, and he's the one who slipped away on me. Uh, so it's like right behind every corner, we are faced with that in, that lesson that we have to learn. And it's better. I mean, it's good that we have to face it because when we lose people, I can I can feel how clearly just with that with my dog being gone, I'm just I just feel like okay, there's this big gap, like. Who am I? I? I have to find. I have to get out and walk in the morning because that's what I always did with my dog. And there's that time, and there are those conversations we had, and and just uh, the joy of having someone you completely love being in your being around all the time. So, I and I don't try. I'm not trying to equate a dog with a human because I don't think that's that's what we ever are trying to do, but. I've been really blessed. I haven't lost very many humans where it's where it's created that kind of gap. And so for all of us that I think it I think one of the things about a pet is that it gives us that compassion that that's it shows us what we're capable of in terms of compassion. And then we can use that to when we're practicing loving kindness in the world. You know, think about what our animal friends bring to us and what they're trying to teach us. So, and we all have, we all have the equivalent of a pet. I know there's probably no one in here who's never had a pet. They, at the, when I was at the vet's office, when we were getting testing done, and my local vet told me pretty quickly when she got blood results, you know, there's nothing we can do, and he's, he's probably got less than a week or, but if we, uh, but she sent me to the specialty center so I could get like another opinion, and she knew. I'm sure she knew. Like we're humans, we want to push it as far as we can. And uh, when I was back talking with them and letting them know everything, she knew already from the, the doctors I'd seen. They were showing me the cremation services they offer. But they had a they had a big a bird, like a cockatiel, I'm not sure, in the vet's office. And I had noticed he was gone. And I saw a turtle. They had a big tortoise. And she said, Yeah, we lost Jules was his name. And so she said, But look look what we have, because we have the new tortoise. But then she said, she there's this little ceramic uh, uh, they do paw prints. So if you want to have your animal cremated, you can get a paw print. And they had done a paw print of this bird. And so, I mean, it was so, it was, it was wonderful. I couldn't help but chuckle because it's just this delicate, you know, it's, I was like, I wanted to say, where's the paw print? I just see <laughs> there are little scratches in the thing with his name and these big beautiful letters at the top. And at first they said, no, I don't need a paw print. But then I asked both my kids. My my daughter said, "I don't need anything at my house." And and after a few seconds, Stephen said, "I'd like a paw print." <laughs> <laughs> so he gets the paw print. But 
then there are those, you know, they had they had lost their bird at the, and birds live a long time. So even the even the vets, the the vets were all the people I dealt with were so compassionate and so uh, right there, right in the moment. So. Uh, with all the stuff going on with the people we love and are all around us, I think I think these animals in our life are a really good thing uh, because they just keep our hearts open in between even the harder times. And uh, I'm not having another pet, so I'm also kind of mourning this is the last. I promised Bhante Sujata before I became a nun because I think Toby was born, I mean, I, he knew I had Lucy, and then I had to tell him, "Oh, I also have this new dog, <laughs> this new puppy." And I think he was probably like, ah. "And I told him it wasn't. I couldn't. I couldn't really help it. You know, I really tried. I got an older dog. I really was trying." And so before my ordination, he said, "Okay, that's okay. You know." There, and I said, "I can't. I won't get rid of my dogs. And even though I have two, and started out, I just had one." But I said they're they're a big they're a big part of me and a big responsibility. So I wouldn't I can't I wouldn't get rid of them. So it's either you got to take us as a package deal kind of thing. <laughs> and he said, okay, I understand that, and that's good. It's good to honor that responsibility. But he said, they're probably the last last dog you want to have, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, I understand what you're saying. So. I was given a dispensation to even have my dogs. A lot of a lot of times, if you become a, a well, not a lot, almost all, if you have a, if you have a pet and you go to a monastery, you can't you can't take the pet with you. So that's uh, it's it's un, it was unusual. So I I wouldn't have become a nun if Bonte hadn't agreed to that. I mean, it was pretty clear. For me, that I had, that I would have to wait until I just now, I'd be too old now to become a nun. So, thanks to Bhante Sujata, that was possible. So, uh, since I have turned the whole talk time, we have time though. If anybody would like to share something, or if they've, if they have something that they, that they've learned through an experience, or. Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, the reason I say they aren't as important as people is I know um, because the human, to me they are, to, personally underneath all this, they, they are. They are equally the same. Okay. So, but as a Buddhist, the, the, our the human beings have such a special, our consciousness is is at the place where we are teachable. And um, so a human being is such an important life. Like, that's, it's, um, it's, it's, when, it's when we're developed enough to actually make decisions for ourselves and uh, 
work with our mind. And so I think the, I think the, I, I wouldn't want to even compare also like my suffering, losing a dog to someone who's losing a spouse or, uh, or, a, or a loved one, just, just because I think that would feel, it might feel trite to someone. I, 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 I don't want to, uh, I don't want to demean how animals are important. And we've all been there. We've all been, we've all been dogs and cats and fish and birds. And it was part of our, you know, it's part of our, uh, a journey in samsara. But I think most Buddhists would say the life that we're, the life that's the most important one for us is this human life. And, and we do this one over and over again. And this human life is where uh, it's so important to nurture this life because it's, it, we, we create and, are, you know, there's lots of karma and uh, intention. We can do things with intention and uh, that's, that's why it's more important. But if someone's lost a human being in their lives, I don't want to say, oh, I, I lost my dog. I understand exactly how you feel. Because I don't think it's quite that easy. So I don't want, to be, I don't want you to misunderstand me it, but, because it's not, a, this is, I know how our pets, and especially because we are so privileged to be able to have our pets and, and take care of them and spend money on them and you know we're just we have privileges that the rest of the world just doesn't have when you think about how we can take care of our animals and uh, how they just live with us so that's a kind of luxury that I think allows us to really uh, have a wonderful connection and relationship with the animals and uh, that, and I don't think we should take it for granted at all. Like that makes our stewardship of them be even, even more important. Uh huh. Uh, you seem like you're coping very well. Um, I would cry. I think I did cry a little while you talked. Not gonna lie. Um, can you give us a little advice on that? On what you're practicing? Well, I'm just. Um, I, I have cried a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and I would, and the, and the, when I was trying to take in the diagnosis in the first part, I was trying really hard not to cry, and and it and it hurt so much physically. I mean, that's when I was the most exhausted, trying to talk to the vets, trying to, you know, let my kids. I couldn't. I, I had my daughter call my mother, because, and uh, when when my mom, at, when I was. Uh, uh, I was with my mom for like four or five months last year and getting her into assisted living. So Toby was with me, of course. So she's, she's gotten to know Toby and all his flights were off. They were usually to Houston to be with her. So uh, she knows how close and she loved him too. And she was not a dog person. But uh, I couldn't call her and tell her. And she had just gotten back from the hospital in Tennessee and so she had a phone again in her room. But I knew if I called my mother, that would, I couldn't, yeah. And, uh, and it's like it, just being a little kid again, I couldn't call her. See, that's, and so my, I had my daughter call her and tell my mom that Toby was dying. 
And my, and my mom was great about it because she told Toby. She knew how important he was to me. And so she said, just tell your mom I'm praying for him. Yeah. But, you know, the, what, what really is going to get me through it is the, the whole, is knowing, first of all, that his death was not the end of that spark. Whatever, I don't know what it is that goes forward, but I know something goes forward. And so I know it's just part of his journey. <clears throat> and I and I think I always think about dogs because of our ability to have them in our lives the way we do. I've always thought about this Toby and my first dog as an adult was my first Toby. So I have bookend Tobies in my life. <laughs> the two best dogs. Um, but I always think that that these dogs that live with us are really practicing to be human beings and they they know it they know it better than we do because they're watching us all the time so they're looking and you know what makes her happy what makes her sad what uh, I, I so I really have this wonderful made-up belief that they are practicing to become humans and so and I think this Toby and my first Toby too had had really good practice. They got to, that you know they they got to see everything. So they can maybe they get to make a choice, you know, how they come back. But in the course of their journey in samsara, that's going to be that's where they'll be too. So a lot I thought a lot about impermanence. It was hard to sit and meditate when I was really feeling a lot of pain because I couldn't that would just come back in washes. So it, I would sit, and I tried to sit every, when I was waiting and waiting for the vets and stuff, and I would try to do that, but it was mostly just being quiet and trying to breathe because my head was just full of sadness. But I did, uh, I did read some chanting that we do and, and read some, you know, the Dhammapada about all conditioned things, all things arise, and they stay for a while, you know, and then they fade away. And so it helped to kind of just have some of those things in my head. All conditioned things are impermanent. And, and so that would sometimes just be my mantra. And, uh, and, and just having to see that and see that's just the way things are. Not, and not in any sense that he's less, it's less meaningful. But it's impermanence is what impermanence is what we all have to deal with. And I'm sure when my two thirty something kids were crying with me and we were spending our last time with Toby, I'm sure in their heads somewhere they were thinking that they're gonna lose me someday. Because I can remember that feeling. Like so so when we're when we're crying for, for one, we're we're kind of in training for losing the next and I think that's that's uh, that's how we that's how we have that's one way some of us have to learn about impermanence we all have to learn about it the hard way but it some of us haven't I think the Buddhist teachings are giving us uh, a beautiful training to be able to deal with things in ways that we you know but the, but don't don't hold the tears back because that hurts so much when I could finally let the tears flow, uh, they were soft, but I but they it, it was less painful. So we don't want to repress 
it, 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 repression of our true emotions uh, is what I think kills us sometimes. So that that would I could feel I knew that physically in my body. Just this holding back, holding back, holding back is really so. But we sometimes have to choose a time and a place when we can do that. The wonderful thing is that we can love a creature that much. I mean, like a human being that much, or an animal creature, or a human creature. That we and and knowing because I've had I I mean. I've had so many dogs, and I've lost every one of them. And how we can go through that situation, we can go through that again and again. It's just amazing. But I think that shows us what a capacity we have for probably uh, love and uh, denial. (laughs) It's like if you had your first child, I remember saying, I don't want to do this in the middle of childbirth. Like, I want to go home. I was, I mean... (laughs) And when I've seen that on TV shows or movies, it's, it's funny, but I thought, I was saying that, like, I want to go home now. And, uh, and, and saying, I'm never going to do this again. And I did it again. It's like, you, it's, it's that kind of, amne- my uh, cousin used to say, it's like amnesia. You forget, she was, she was recovering from having a baby, and I was like probably 13 years old. I'd never been around that. But she said, she was talking to my mother. She said, Aunt Fern, it's like amnesia, isn't it? I'm for, I've already forgotten how terrible it was. And I'm just horrified. Just, I didn't want to be in that room with those grown-ups. So, but that's, that's the power of love for something, too. You know, think, now I've been getting involved with mainstay, uh, and that's with the beautiful, the horses and the goats and the donkeys and the sheep and... Uh, the little herd. This week we get to have another workshop, our final workshop with the little herd, and um, those animals, the especially the, the the little herd are rescue animals, and the other horses are all specially trained to work with with disabled people and mentally challenged people and old people and forgetful people, um, and so they they have to be really chosen carefully and trained and the little herd are all animals that have been rescued and one of the t- one of the trainers there had that little herd and brought it with her to mainstay uh when she came and uh, that's the group that I have been doing the workshops with and those animals are just as precious when and they get old and sick and and it and it's when they have to put one of them down because they just can't keep going, the, everybody who works there is sad, and you know, and they're sometimes they get pretty, they go, uh, it gets pretty bad towards the end, but they know those animals and they know when they can't make it another winter. But the but the people, the first time we had a workshop with them, we all fell in love with those animals. And then by the time we had the second workshop, two of them were gone. And uh, people were looking forward to seeing their, you know, everybody had a favorite animal. If it was a big sheep or uh, they, have, they have about, oh, usually about ten animals in the little herd. And then to find out that your favorite animal didn't make it through the winter, you know, it's already, that's another heartbreak. But we keep going back. We keep wanting to be with those animals. So... 
That's learning that impermanence is. We, have, we love completely. If we open our hearts, we can love completely. We can allow ourselves to love completely and know that, it's, that it can be taken away from us at any time. But that quality of love isn't taken away. It's just that, it's just that, that being that we focused our love on. So we, we still have that love and we can share it. But I think recognizing impermanence keeps us from becoming maybe angry that we lose. You know, we <clears throat> how can we be angry at losing a loved one if we if we know and we've studied the the, the Buddhist teachings and we know impermanences and we and we know that our suffering comes from not allowing that uh, impermanence to 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 really reach us. And that everything changes. So I know whatever Toby, whatever his energy, whatever kept him going, is just has gone somewhere else. Probably something with very long legs and not neutered. <laughs> so, so if you if you've loved animals and you keep being foolish enough to having opening your heart to more that's i think that says a wonderful thing about us i think that really says that we're accepting at some level whether we know it or not we're accepting impermanence we're embracing it because we know unless you have a parrot that's going to live a hundred years that we're probably going to outlive those pets so it's a it's practice for unconditional love So thank you, everybody.